My name is Marla, and I'm a partner here at Mercy View. I'll be reading from Exodus 20, 16. Um, It says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to echo John's welcome uh, to you. If you are visiting with us, we are so glad that you're here tonight. would love to get to meet you if I haven't already after church. And uh, as John said, we pray this time has been an encouragement to you. Uh, already. So there is a old Jewish proverb about a, a rabbi who lived in a really small town and over his time there and his ministry there, uh, he grew his reputation and he was known in that community to be a man of great character. He was giving his life to serve people in that community. People knew him as an honest man. They knew him as a diligent man. Until one day, a visitor came to town. And for reasons that were unclear to the rabbi, this man started to say untrue things about the rabbi. And this began to lead to a lot of speculation and disunity in the community. And this devastated the rabbi. Because he was once respected in that community, but now his reputation was completely wrecked. And after a period of time, this man who had spread these falsehoods began to feel a sense of conviction. And he set up a meeting with the rabbi. And when they got together, this man said to the rabbi, I want to apologize for what I've done. The things that I said were not true, they were not proven, and I want to ask that you would forgive me. But I also want to ask something else. I want to ask, how can I make this up to you? What can I do to restore what I've broken? How can I make what was once crooked straight? And the rabbi said, I want you to go home, and I want you to take your pillow off of your bed, And I want you to go outside. I want you to tear that pillow open and scatter all of the feathers from that pillow into the wind. And so the man went home and he did that and came back to the rabbi and said, I did what you asked. Is there anything else that I can do to make this up to you? The man thought it was a weird request. So surely there was something else that the rabbi would want him to do. And the rabbi said, I want you to take your pillowcase back outside and I want you to pick up all the feathers. I want every single feather back in that pillow. And the man said, that's impossible. And the rabbi said to him, yes, it is impossible. Tonight, we are looking at the ninth commandment in our series on the Ten Commandments, Live Free. We're on the home stretch here, and we are um, about to call this series to a close. And this commandment tonight says, the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So apparently, for God, how we talk with and about one another matters so much to him that he placed it in his ten words to us. 
And as we look at why this matters to God, I want to invite you to see really one big thing this evening. And here it is. The truth honors and protects our neighbor and in turn, our community. And when I say community, I mean both the church community, even the larger community that we find ourselves in. But the truth honors and protects our neighbor and in turn, our community. So I know we just have one verse to look at, but I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 20 there in verse 16. Here's what it says again. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, in one sense, God is speaking about the idea of legal proceedings here, right? In this day, uh, when this would have been written, um, they didn't have video cameras. Uh, they didn't have forensic uh, investigations. The, the justice that would be afforded to someone would rise and fall on the eyewitness account of what had happened and the credibility of that eyewitness, right? But this commandment is much broader than that, than just the idea of legal proceedings. And we're going to get to how it's broader. But first, I want you to notice something that, that is sort of baked into this commandment. And it gets at really God's intent for giving this commandment to us. I want you to notice God says that we must speak the truth to someone in particular. Who is that someone? Well... He says we should speak the truth about our neighbor. Actually, if you look at commandments 5 through 10, they are actually all about neighbor love. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. And tonight, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. So maybe it would be good for us to answer the question, who is your neighbor? Jesus was asked this question once, and we see his answer in Luke 10. Jesus answers the question of who is your neighbor by telling a story. He tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you're familiar with the story, you know that towards the end of the story, a Samaritan, someone who would have been generally, generally looked down upon by Jews because of their religion and because of their culture... He was the one that actually helped a beaten and broke down Jew that was in the ditch. And this was after two Jews from the priestly line of, of the Israelites passed by the injured man. In short, a person whom the Jews would have considered unclean and outside of God's covenant demonstrated compassion for one who shouldn't have helped him. Jesus asked, which of these three men was a neighbor to the injured man? And the scribe answered and said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus, and, and he was saying this, by, like, you're correct. He said, go and do likewise. So here's what Jesus is saying through this parable. If we're going to answer the question of who is our neighbor. Our neighbor is anyone in our sphere that we can share God's love with. We are called not only to love those who are similar to us or with whom we are comfortable, but all who God places in our path. And that word all is really another way to answer the question is 
of, of, of who is your neighbor, and it's anyone that's not you. Now, loving others does not mean that we agree with everything they say or do, but loving our neighbors means attending to their needs. It may be physical needs, maybe emotional needs, it may be spiritual. We love our neighbors when we, like the Good Samaritan, have compassion for those who are in need, and we actually act on it. We help them as we are able. That's who our neighbors are. Now, I want you to notice what God is doing, though, in this commandment, and really all of the commandments, again, in commandments 5 through 10. Some have called the commandments 5 through 10 the second table of the law. And all of the commandments on the second table, commandments 5 through 10, are about neighbor love, but we would not do well to assume that it only is meant to be thought of as one-to-one uh, as you know relationally actually what what this commandment says is that the cumulative effect of each of us loving our neighbor in this way by telling the truth it creates something it doesn't just create a a relationship that's authentic and real and vulnerable between me and Andrew if we are uh, not bearing false witness with one another but as we do that, and as Trey does that with John, and as Andrea does that with, with Roxy, and as we do that with one another here, it begins to create a community of love. And so really, the point of Commandments 5 through 10, and for sure, Commandment 9 tonight, is that within a community that is living within this design, we begin to find that it is a community that is flourishing and thriving within the boundaries that God has set for us. And a community of love is one where the individuals within that community are living in truthfulness with one another. And so the ninth commandment is given not just because God wants us to be truthful people. He actually gives us this command because he wants us to be concerned about the well-being of the whole community that we find ourselves in through the vehicle of truth. Here's the big idea I want to invite you to see this evening. The truth honors and protects our neighbor and in turn our community. See, broadly speaking, here is what God is getting at in the ninth commandment. God cares that we speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth at all times. Now, the word false here in this verse is probably better translated as misleading or maybe even deceptive, right? So we shouldn't speak in such a way about our neighbor in a way that is misleading or it creates deceit. It's a, a word that includes false speech. We would call that lying, but it's broader than that. It actually goes beyond just that sort of narrow category of lying. So here's what I want to do right now. We, we need to look at the ways that this plays itself out in our lives. The ways that you and I are tempted to break the ninth commandment. So we're just going to go through a few of these. First, one of the ways that you and I bear false witness is through flattery. Flattery is this. 
It's an insincere and excessive praise intended to manipulate you. You maybe have been the receiver of this and gotten burnt by someone that really talked you up, really flattered you. And what you experienced in that is a violation of the ninth commandment because they weren't saying what was true. They were saying what you wanted to hear in order to use you. Now, this is not the same thing as encouragement. Some of you here have the gift, the spiritual gift of encouragement. You naturally spur people on to be lifted up and encouraged by telling them the truth in love. But flattery is the opposite of that. It's trying to influence the outcome by lying to someone. It doesn't care about the good of the person that's receiving it. It's for the use of others for your own good. So that's the first one. Flattery is one of the ways that we break this commandment. The second is through deception. Deception is where we twist what the truth is into a weapon for harm that actually ends up hurting and destroying people. And there are a lot of ways that we practice this, cheating, half-truths, etc., And honestly, it all goes back to Genesis 3. God creates our first parents. He speaks the truth to them. And then Satan comes and lies to them and they sin against God. And Paul says on more than one occasion regarding Eve in particular that Satan deceived her. Satan deceived both Adam and Eve. But deception is where you are trying to pretend that you're communicating the truth but you know in your heart it's a lie. This plays itself out in relationships. This plays itself out in the workplace. This plays itself out in social circles. Plays itself out in the church. It's when we willingly say or don't say what is true to give a false impression that makes us look better than the truth. Number three, another way that we bear false witness, and this is a big one in our culture right now, and it's the issue of slander. Slander is malicious and often false information used to inflict injury. Some of us are inclined to be what I call case builders. We are looking for information to collect so that we might have some stones to throw at some people. We are just waiting, looking seeking, searching, and or arranging information to impugn or attack someone's character. And we do this because for some reason we've convinced ourselves that the other person, our neighbor, is our enemy. And again, in our day, we have an opportunity to slander people probably more quickly and in some ways more efficiently and effectively than ever in the history of the world. And you guys know what I'm going to say. We've talked about this a lot. But you pull up your computer or your phone, you see it really quickly. It's instant. It's global. It's permanent. If you get upset about something, you can just send it out. There's no accountability. There's, there's no checks and balances. Just blast somebody if you feel like it. That's the world and the waters that we swim in. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 36, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. 
How many of you know that Jesus has internet access right now? Imagine that you were to stand before Jesus and he pulls up your social media accounts. He is saying in Matthew 12, you are accountable for that. Here's the fourth and last area that we bear false witness. There's others we could look at, but our time is, is, is limited. And it really is a close cousin to the idea of slander, and it's, it's what you would know as gossip. Did you know that the Bible actually talks about the issue of gossip? Like it actually uses the word? 1 Timothy 5.13 says, They learn not only by being idlers, but also gossips and busybodies. Timothy is saying something really interesting here. Gossip is sharing damaging information with the intent of injuring someone's reputation. And again, this isn't physical injury necessarily. It's, it's when you want to injure them emotionally. And for some reason, Timothy makes the connection here that a busybody can be one that is fishing for gossip to do that very thing. Now, some of you might think, man, you know what, Brad? I have people tell me stuff all the time. It's amazing. Like the dirt. Um, that's not necessarily a good thing. If people come to you and tell you their stuff and everybody else's stuff, it may be because you are a repository for gossip. And so you, you need to ask the Lord to help you with that, to repent of that and be a truth teller. He wants to help you with that. It's not a good place to be. There really is no place for it in the church for sure. Now, those are a few ways that you and I bear false witness. There are ways that we lie. But we need to go another layer underneath those things because if we're not careful, we have identified some, some different ways in which we sin, but we're really not getting to the root of why we do those things. We're just kind of like what's underneath those things. So I think we need to also just take a moment here to explore what are some of the reasons we lie. First, I think we lie to avoid negative con uh, consequences for ourselves. Right? We say, if the truth comes out, that is not going to be good for me. I need to lie to change the future. It's an attempt to mislead for our advantage. Number two, we lie to create or protect an illusion of who we are. Like we think, if, if folks really knew the truth about me, they would think I am a terrible person. And so we think that because we actually know the truth about ourselves. We're sinners. We fall way short of the glory of God. We're internally aware that we are hypocrites, but we don't want others to think that about us. So we try, I mean, all kinds of things to give people a different impression. Next, number three, we lie to get what we want. I want this thing, so I'm going to lie to get that thing. It's maybe even something I'm not even supposed to have. It's the spirit of impatience. It's it's a spirit of, of not being content. It's antithetical to Christianity. Number four, we lie to remain in control of a situation, right? Like we say, I don't, I don't like how this might play out, so I'm going to change the information so that I can alter the outcome. In fact, the theme through all of this, and this is so true for this one, it's an attempt to play God. 
Number five, we lie to punish someone else. Like, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. And the way that I'm going to do that is to lie about you and seek vengeance against you. It doesn't, friends, mean that we don't pursue justice on this side of eternity, but it just means we do that truthfully and with integrity. And then number six, we lie about someone to be accepted by them when they actually don't really like us. Some call it peer pressure. The Bible calls it the fear of man. It plays out like this. You tell someone who you know does not care about you, does not have your best interest at heart, untrue things about someone else so that they'll be friends with you. The reality is, is that is a relationship built on a lie. It's a counterfeit relationship. So I, I said that we need to get underneath the, the, the really surface sins of, of things like gossip and, and slander and, uh, you know, uh, deception, all of those things. And, and, and understand that if all we ever do for a lifetime is say, Lord, forgive me of being a gossiper, we're not actually asking God to help heal our hearts. Now God, that's a prayer that God wants to answer, and he will forgive that. But we have to do some, some business with, with the Lord, with the Spirit's help, and ask him, what is it that is motivating this lie? And some of these are the reasons. These are the things that I would say are underneath. It's the sin beneath the sin that we need to repent of. Now, in our home, um, we have a little saying that we've taught our kids and that Holly and I try to remember to... Uh, tell one another often when it, when it comes to our speech. Some of you have heard a variation of this. We start to ask the question, okay, if, if lying is off the table, if gossip is off the table, what is on the table? How do we speak truthfully? And, and this is the little saying we have in our home. Is it true? Is it kind? And is it necessary? Now, that's a simple version that... Um, you know, anybody can remember and, and memorize. It's a great check as we think about the, uh, you know, we're getting ready to say something, what, maybe press it through that grid. But let, let's just, um, we're adults here uh, or young adults here. So let's just, let's unpack really what even that little pithy saying means. Does the information that I have exactly like I have it need to be communicated at all? Does it even need to be articulated? Does it need to be said by me? Is the group that I want to say it to, do they need to know it? Or have I begun to open up this conversation to others that have no right to know? Is this the right time to say this thing or is it a, a bad time? doesn't mean that maybe isn't, there isn't a time to say it later, but that's just the point. It's not needed to be said right now what is the medium by which i want to communicate these things does the exact information need to be communicated by me to these people at this time with this motive through this medium ultimately we need to ask ourselves what am i seeking to accomplish with my words god's glory is that what i care about they're good right neighbor love Friends, if we 
would slow down and, and ask ourselves these questions if I would slow down and ask these questions of my own heart. More often, I think you and I will find that it greatly reduces the number of times that we violate the ninth commandment. Now, the normal way that you and I go about trying to do better with like not breaking a commandment is really interesting to me. I see it in my own life. Um, I see it in the conversations that I, I have with those that I have the privilege of mentoring or discipling, walking with. And as we think about this particular commandment, the ninth commandment, the way that you and I try not to deceive or to flatter or to slander or gossip or even promote false teaching, things like that, is we start to think this way. So this is what I think most of us do. Actually, if you're a parent, this is going to sound really familiar, by the way. You better be honest because honesty pays. If you're dishonest, you're going to get caught. You might get caught by the police. You might get caught by your spouse, your children. You might get caught by your boss. You might get caught by God. And you don't want to be like those awful people who lie. If you do that, you're going to grow up like them and have a horrible life. What are we doing there? Well, we're saying that honesty pays off in terms of our own practical safety or self-image. I would say it's the main way we train ourselves to not lie. But friends, that's behavior modification. That's not gospel-motivated obedience. In fact, I, I would argue that you actually may be able to do it for a little bit, but it is not sustainable. You cannot do that kind of mode for very long at all. It just doesn't work. The ninth commandment tells you the purpose and motive of truthfulness. It's the concern that you and I should have for our neighbor and in turn the communities that we find ourselves in. But if you say the to tell the truth is going to uh, make me pay in terms of personal safety or self-image, you, you're going to come against a, a real problem because there is going to come a time when it doesn't pay. You may find that telling the truth means you lose face, that telling the truth means you lose money, that you lose reputation like the rabbi that you lose your job even. What is going to happen when you're faced with that reality? Because if the main reason that you're honest is because you don't want others to be unhappy with you, you don't want God to be unhappy with you, at some point you're going to be in a situation in which honesty does not pay. But it's the right thing to do. It actually might be very costly for you to be truthful. So how are we going to actually be people who tell the truth, no matter what it costs? How are we going to see the truth honor and protect our neighbor and in turn our community? I actually think there's one way. Remember, when you're reading the Ten Commandments, they do not start with, you shall have no other gods before me. 
It starts with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It starts with a reminder of something, the Ten Commandments. God wants you to remember first that He is the God of your rescue. And then, here are ten ways or commandments or boundaries to live within that will bring you abundant life. So in the ninth commandment, here's what God is saying. I am the truth and the life. And because I have liberated you, you now can liberate others, your neighbor, your community, with the truth. I wonder if you see the distinction, right? The ninth commandment, like all the commandments, is connected to the prologue of the Ten Commandments. The ninth commandment doesn't just say, tell the truth because good people do it, because it pays off, because it will be good for your self-image, it will help you protect yourself. No, God is saying in the ninth commandment, liberate your neighbor with the truth because I, the God of truth, have liberated you. That's powerful, y'all. And that order is important too. God's spiritual liberation of our hearts is what empowers us then to liberate others with the truth. Now, the readers of Deuteronomy, which is uh, another play in, in Exodus and Deuteronomy where we find these commandments, they knew of only one place where God had broke into history to liberate them. Right? It's what God says here in the prologue. It's when they were slaves in Egypt. But you and I know of another place where God came down into our humanity to bring ultimate liberation. Near the end of his life, Jesus was on trial. Jesus is the great neighbor, big end neighbor. And the point of this mock trial was to bring false witnesses against Jesus to convict him, to condemn him, condemn him though he was innocent. And finally, at the end of this sham, he's brought before Pilate. And Pilate asks him a question. Are you a king? Now, when Pilate asked him that question, that is the moment for Jesus. This is the ultimate example of the ninth commandment. Because if Jesus tells the truth, he's dead. If he lies, he withholds the truth, he lives. Here's the ultimate witness in the ultimate courtroom. And if he doesn't tell the truth at infinite cost to himself, he dies and you and I have no hope. So what does he do? In John 18, it says, Jesus answered Pilate, you are right in saying I am king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to what? The truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Then Pilate proceeds to put Jesus to death. Now, there are a couple ways for you and I to look at this story. One is to go, man, that is a great example. Like Jesus, man, in the moment of truth, he, 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 he does what's right. And so I need to do what Jesus did. I need to um, be like him or he won't accept me. I need to... Uh, tell the truth like him or he won't bless me. 
If you do that, what you're actually doing is filling yourself with fear. Here's what I mean. You're saying, I think I can do it. Maybe I can do it, just like Jesus. But friends, you're thinking of yourself. You're saying, I want to tell the truth so that I can feel maybe good about myself. Maybe that I'll go to heaven. God will accept me. But friend, if you see him not just doing this as an example, but as your savior, it changes everything. When you're tempted to lie, and you will be tempted, if you think of his sacrificial, saving, truth-telling for you at an infinite cost to himself, and out of an infinite love for you, you'll have everything you need to tell the truth. And you can tell the truth at all costs because his love has destroyed that fear. If you're tempted to lie, it's only because at that moment you're afraid of something, right? You're afraid of losing face. You're afraid of losing money. You're afraid of losing power, losing advantage in some way. But if we know Jesus as both the example and our Savior in the face of of like the, the, the conflict of should I tell the truth or should I not? We can look to Jesus for what he's done for us and remind our hearts what this means is that he delights in me. I can lose all approval if I have his. I can lose wealth. I can lose a relationship. But it's because I have wealth in him. I have the ultimate relationship with him. He loves me. He delights in me. See, when you're tempted to lie, you're saying, I'm forgetting what he did for me. He lost everything to tell the truth for me. So I can lose this little bit to tell the truth for him and for my neighbor and my community, and I will. See, friend, it's only if you see the saving, sacrificial truth-telling of Jesus on your behalf will you be happy enough, secure enough to be truth-tellers yourself. You know what hell is? Hell is a place where nobody tells the truth. Can you imagine being in a place like that? I mean, even on this side of uh, of eternity, the the remnant of truth that comes from God, it's still kind of around us, right? Can you imagine being in a place where nobody tells the truth about anything? How do you think that would make us feel? Insecure, deeply. It's probably a level of insecurity none of us have ever experienced. You can actually see semi-hells in parts of the world where, where folks can't trust folks to tell truthful things. So what is the opposite of that? It is the cumulative effect of all of us obeying the ninth commandment. Right? We said it's not just one-to-one. It's, this is not just about the individual. It's about a community. So if we're pursuing this together, truth and love, it's a community where everyone tells the truth. Nobody spins stuff. Nobody exaggerates. Nobody's misrepresenting. People are transparent. They're speaking the truth and love. It's a community where we will have no need to put the feathers back in our pillowcases. Friends, we're called to be a community like that. 
as a church community. We're called to participate in the larger community here in Tulsa like that as Christians. And the good news of the gospel is that we have been given the resources to do it. It's through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. 